Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpress in der Bundesliga Podcast. I'm Manu Feit, he's Stefan Bienkowski and Stefan, it's one of those long Mondays. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, it's one of those long Mondays, but it's also one of those weeks where the football comes thick and fast. It's the return of the Champions yeah. League, which has caught both of us by surprise, which we were discussing uh, before we came on air. Um, it's just that time of the season where the international window, the international break finishes. You get one weekend and then straight into the Champions League. Um, but yeah, do you know what? It's going to be interesting. It's going to be a lot of fun. And it was a great weekend of football as well. So I'm desperate to get stuck into it. Yeah. I, I'm, as you said, like the Champions League kind of snuck up on me as well. Uh, I was like, oh, wait, they buy and play Man United on this week. Um, I guess <laughs> I have to get ready with everything. So yeah, it's been, it's been an odd one in that regard that it's come so fast, especially after the international break. But here we are. Um, we will talk about the Champions League um, in this show. Um, you know, kind of, this is not a previous show by any means. This is the recap of the weekend. Um, but we'll, we'll mention it as much as possible uh, in regards to the games that took place. And um, Stefan, we're bringing back the popular Champions League recap show on Wednesdays. Yes, we are. And we'll obviously have the forums going for paid subscribers to chat to us during the show, which which was really good fun for the Leverkusen game, actually, on Friday. I think we had, like, it was close to 100, I think, comments in the, in the forum by the end of the Leverkusen game, at least. Uh, I think the match they finished on about 160, 170. So, big thank you to all the subscribers who obviously jump in there during the weekend and, and, and chat away. It was a lot of fun. Um, and it's just great to see, like, fans react in real time and people get to talk about it. Yes, absolutely. And we are going to talk about the big match as well right after this break. This episode of the Gig Impressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Football is back, and I mean American football. And Bet Online is your number one information source for all your sports wagering info with all the up to minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with Bet Online's real time updates on statistics, news, odds. From week one all the way to college football playoffs and Super Bowl, BetOnline gives you access to the best football promotion and contest available anywhere online. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, that is B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Um, speaking of football, my buddy is really trying to get me to come down to Seattle to watch college football. I'm not sure I'm ready yet, Stefan. <laughs> it looks mental, um, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I've got a friend who's actually going out to visit another friend uh, in Seattle over the Christmas period, and 
I'm not sure if he's been to the US before, but I kind of had to warn about how cold it can get up in the Northwest in the wintertime, uh, from what I can remember and living in Oregon. Uh, you'll need the snow tires and lots of lots of layers, I'll put it that way, I think. But you might get some decent skiing in, that's for sure. Well, actually, the Pacific Northwest isn't too bad. Um, like, the lowest it ever drops here is, like, maybe 5 to 6 degrees, and snow is really rare. But in Seattle, it rains a lot. Yeah. Uh, so bring multiple rain jackets is my advice. The island where I live on is is really good. We don't get much rain. We have a Mediterranean climate here. Right. Um, only place in Canada that I can grow palm trees, Stefan. And... Um, yeah, but yeah, bring rain jackets. Anyways, this has nothing to do with the Bundesliga. We should, <laughs> let's let's focus on that. Um, we're not the Seattle Sounders podcast. There's probably good shows on there out there that can describe the weather in Seattle much better than we can do. Um, the big Friday game, um, and it was a absolutely fascinating match. Um, I think it lived up to what we hoped for. Uh, both of us actually got this result right, two two. Right, um, but it the way we got there was overly dramatic. Um, Bayern took the lead, uh, deservedly took the lead. Um, I would say that at that moment I was really worried about Leverkusen to to do what many other Bundesliga teams do when they go down in Munich is to completely collapse. They actually didn't and came back to to equalize. That Palacios free kick might be an early contender for the goal of the season. Grimaldo. Um, sorry, yes. Grimaldo. Yes, you're right. Not Palacios. Grimaldo. Uh, Palacios scored the equalizer eventually to make it 2-2 from the spot. That's the one. Um, that was a late equalizer. Alfonso Davies with the foul in the box on Hoffman. Um, lots to talk about here as well. I think there was a lot of debate on whether that was too soft or not too soft. I personally think if you tackle someone like that in the box, you ask him for trouble. Was it soft? I agree with that as well. I think it was soft, but just don't go there, right? It's like, uh, what, the 95th minute of a game? Just don't go there. Um, but Stefan, I think the bottom line is, no matter how we got there, I think this was a very deserved two-to-draw in the end. And I was actually kind of impressed by both teams. I think this was a really high-tempo game. It's great advertising for the Bundesliga. And I walk away from this match thinking, yeah, Leverkusen are for real. Yeah, absolutely. It, it definitely was great um, advertising for the league. Certainly here in the UK, where it was on Friday night. Um, I don't think there was a big Premier League game on at the same time. Um, I, I knew that more people were paying attention to it because I had my brother text me towards the end of the second half just going absolutely nuts at how good the game was. And I met him the next day because uh, I went along to watch Queen's Park team in Glasgow on Saturday. And, you know, he came along as well. They would not stop talking about how amazing the game had been. Uh, so, you know, you know it's good when neutrals or people who don't even follow the league kind of tune in and enjoy it. And it was. It was great. It was a great... It was, I, I was going to say it was end-to-end. I wouldn't go as far as to say it was end-to-end. I guess it was at times, but I think it was It was more the sense that both teams kind of had periods of, of possession. Um, you know, both teams were able to exert their tactics at certain points. Key players kind of stood up. I saw someone say it was. It felt a lot like a kind of Champions League kind of quarter final or semi final. I, I completely agree with that sentiment. Um, it, it, it felt like two very evenly matched teams, and I think that's a huge, obviously, a huge credit to Bayer Leverkusen. You can go through the stats, and they certainly back it up. You know, in terms of XG, from at least the the model I'm using here, um, 
Bayern's XG was 2.7, Leverkusen's was 2.38, so very similar there. Possession, 51% to 49%. Uh, penalty box shots, 12 to Bayern, 9 to Leverkusen. Deep completion passes, so that's, piece, that's kind of passes that make it into the six-yard box. 15 to Bayern, 19 to Leverkusen, and... Yeah, I think the game definitely kind of went back and forth. It had periods where Bayern were on top, had periods where Leverkusen were on top. I actually kind of walked away from that first half wondering, you know, there's, there's that kind of age-old kind of saying in football that the only thing worse than conceding a goal in the first 20 minutes is scoring a goal in the first 20 minutes because you kind of get complacent, uh, you kind of sit back, you can, and then you eventually let the other team in because they're obviously pushing, try equalising. I mean, that Harry Kane goal was the biggest gift that anyone's going to get all season. You know, I think it hits off Kosono's head, maybe, and Kane's completely unmarked to the back post. And he just taps it, and he's not going to score an easier goal than that this season. Um, but it meant Leverkusen really had to go up a gear, and they had to really begin to exert themselves in the match. And I thought they did that for a large chunk of the game. Uh, I thought it was really interesting. One stat I found really interesting was uh, when you look at both teams' high turnovers, so basically, like, when they dispossessed the opposing team in the opposing team's half. Bayern did that to Leverkusen five times, but Leverkusen did that to Bayern seven times. And in terms of it leading to a shot, Bayern's never led to a shot, but Leverkusen seven, all the seven, three led to a shot for Leverkusen. And I think for a long period of the game, they did such a good job of really kind of containing Bayern for the most part. You know, um, I've got Leverkusen's pass map open in front of me and... It's essentially like a back three um, with two very, very wide uh, fullbacks, obviously in Grimaldo and Frimpong. Actually, Frimpong is the second highest player in the park in terms of average position. And then you've kind of got Florian Wurtz trying his best to play off Boniface. Um, but I think the key thing is you kind of have those three central midfielders, um, Xhaka, uh, obviously Andrik, and then um, later on, uh, you know, you mentioned Palacios there. With them sitting so kind of neatly in the middle of the park there, and then that back three uh, of Jonathan Ta, Kosono, and oh, I'm trying to remember, and Tapsoba, of course, um, you had like a block of five or six players there who were just doing such a great job of kind of, uh, you know, basically protecting the goal now from Harry Kane. And I think what was maybe quite telling was, and I think what really showed the way that Bayern were kind of forced to play Leverkusen's game was the manner in which the kind of first three games of the season we've played, we've seen Leroy Sané playing very close to Harry Kane and Serge Gnabry play very close to Harry Kane. And I think Thomas Tuchel's general idea is that these two players play off Kane the way that Son played off Kane at Tottenham. But if you watch the game back and even the highlights, you'll see that Leroy Sané often not has to come out very wide or very deep to pick up the ball. And I think that's probably a testament to Bayern, uh, to, Le- to Leverkusen rather, is they're marking, they're closing down, they're keeping a very tight block. Um... And for the most part, they did a good job of kind of limiting um, Bayern's chances. Of course, both teams did have chances. You know, for example, Serge Gnabry should, probably should have scored in the first half. Uh, I thought Boniface maybe should have scored one or two extra goals as well in the second half. But it was a great game. Uh, as a fantastic kind of show of what these both sides can do. But I think, more or less, Xabi Alonso was able to walk away from this match and say, my tactics worked in the Allianz Arena against Bayern Munich, and I think that's a huge, huge plus for him and something that probably drove Thomas Tuchel crazy, as we saw full time where he was basically escorted off the pitch. Yeah, and Joel Glove uh, with a red card at the end as well, um, his assistant coach, right? 
Um, you mentioned Boniface, eight shots, um, the most of any player, um, didn't score. I think his best moment was actually when he played that one-two with Wirtz and Wirtz then hit the post, um, which I think probably would have been the winner at that point. Of course, Leon Goretzka then did score what looked the winner on the other side shortly after. And that was off Matthias Tell. And I actually thought that was a really good uh, substitution by um, Thomas Tuchel uh, to bring in Matthias Tell, um, who is increasingly developing at Bayern Munich despite limited minutes. I think... Actually, his development plan is quite good, which is probably you know something that we can look at um, in more details later on. But yeah, Boniface was a player who I thought just didn't have the best day. <laughs> you know, he had, he played. I think he actually got into all the right spaces. He 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 got a lot of shots off. Um, just didn't hit the target often enough, and um, you actually almost wonder if you a Leverkusen fan. Maybe we could have done better um, here because, you know, if we don't have a misfiring striker, and I I, I don't think this is on Boniface at all, you, you will have players that will have games like that. And I'm sure that, you know, the next game comes along and all of a sudden it will click again. But when you're in the Allianz Arena, you got to take those chances. And the fact that they got away with eight chances created by Boniface and still walk away with a point, I think that is, a, that's a, in my opinion, a pretty big takeaway, Stefan, because not many teams create that many chances at the Allianz Arena without scoring and still walking away with a point. Yeah, I thought Boniface was really interesting in this game. We were discussing it in our group chat um, during the match. And I said, uh, I think just before he did that really nice one-two with Furtz, I said, Maybe it's about time to bring him off because I thought he was beginning to get quite isolated from the rest of the team because Leverkusen were maybe sitting deeper, and you know, he, but he was still capable of kind of pulling off these moments of magic. He's obviously such a huge, strong forward, you know, and that kind of physical battle between him and Opamecano was just fascinating um, because we've seen that we saw that a lot last season with Erling Haaland in the sense that, or maybe not last season, season before, I suppose now, um, where. If you have a kind of big striker that can that can match with Meccano's strength and pace, he does begin to almost panic. And I mean, at times the two of them look like they're playing like kind of like they're they're actually like like wrestling, like Olympic wrestling or something. In the sense they had their arms over each other. Um, but I thought Boniface came over a lot of the times. Um, you know, managed to get past him, for example. Uh, and then you said only for his composure to kind of fail him. Um, Another aspect of that as well, I thought, and this was obviously a huge game part, a huge game plan was the way that Vertz and Bodyface were meant to play off each other. Um, and throughout the match, I was just constantly amazed at how much how much space Florian Vertz was given behind that Bayern midfield. You know, spent all summer talking about the need for Bayern to sign a defence midfielder, and you know Thomas Tuchel's been on the record talking about you know Joshua Kimmich is in at number six and whether Leon Goretzka was going to get back into the team and then Ryan Gravenberg gets sent, uh, sold. And then Conrad Leimer gets moved to right back. And, you know, the preview, our preview to this game, we talked a lot about if, if Joshua Kivik can't start in this match, then Bayern are in real trouble unless, you know, someone like Matthijs de Ligt can maybe play there. But, you know, Kivik plays, maybe not 100% fit. Goretzka's obviously much more of a kind of more of an attacking presence. Um, and I thought Wurtz really had the run of it in the Bayern midfield for the most part. And in, in the Bayern half, rather. The only thing I think let him down was his final ball. We saw time and time again, he picked up the ball. He had chances to run in that defence. Um, maybe he only really had one option in the sense that Boniface was maybe the only one that's kind of played off. And of course, Frimpong kind of can keep up as well. But 
it felt, I was a wee bit disappointed in him, to be perfectly honest with you, just in that sense, his final pass was very lacking. And so much so that I actually kind of wondered, I think I maybe tweeted this during the game, that I wondered if he was a little jaded from a, you know, a heavy international break, uh, where he obviously featured for Germany. So, you know, Boniface obviously maybe a few centimetres away from, you know, winning the game for Leverkusen. But also, I think if Wurtz had maybe spent less time playing for Germany... Uh, he might have been a little sharper and he could have he could have really put that Barn defence to the sword and obviously that's something that Barn will have to be wary of when they play bigger and better teams, particularly in Europe uh, going forward. But that that tactically, that was the one thing that really stood out to me. Another thing as well, which and we did talk about this on the preview show and it, and it did end up playing out, was that Alfonso Davies, I thought, had a really poor game in a sense that you know he was really pinned back by Frimpong and obviously he concedes the penalty towards the end and I think, you know, as we said in the previous show, I think if you if you do have a player who's capable of kind of going toe-to-toe with um, Davies and, you know, throughout the match, you watched Frimpong and he was almost shadowing Davies to an extent. And if you look at his average position, as I said a moment ago, he's the second highest player in the Leverkusen team because he's basically standing on Davies' toes. Um, and that did such a good job of kind of limiting Bayern's attack as well. So, yeah, like I said, you know, Bayern had their chances to win the game. Leverkusen had their chances to win the game. But I think overall, Leverkusen just did a really good job of containing this Bayern team and they made it a very frustrating night for them. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the uh, Upamecano's issues when he plays against a um, stronger striker. The other one that comes to mind is Marcus Turam for Gladbach, right? Will always cause some trouble. Um, the, The Davies... Yeah, I think that, you know, this wasn't his best game. And you just look at Frimpong's stats, right, throughout the match. Um, he actually clocked the, the highest speed playing against Davies, right, um, of any player on the field. The fastest Bayern player was Leroy Sané. Um, and I I think that tells you quite a bit of what Alonso did at this match. Um, he looked at the Bayern side and said, okay, look, these are the, these are the areas that we need to eliminate for us to be successful here and um as you said you know putting Frimpong on on Davies and kind of challenging him with, with this high speed kind of attack basically giving eliminating Davies its strengths which allows Davies to play so far forward right because he's so fast by giving by putting someone on the opposite side who's just as fast and I think if you're an opponent and you look at that you say hey this is actually this is something that works right um the the penalty, of course, he gives that away. Um, just don't go there. I've said this before. And I thought, too, the whole Joshua Kimmich situation I thought was quite fascinating because I was told before the match that he wasn't fit, right? Um, this was a club source, right? Joshua Kimmich had different ideas. Um, he was quite upset about the substitution, um, wanted to continue playing. The medical staff had determined from what they've seen and what they found that 60 minutes was the max of what they gave him. Um, there's a lot of politics around Joshua Kimmich at the moment, Stefan, which I, I personally found extremely fascinating. The indication was that he would have been fit enough to come off the bench for that Germany friendly. He didn't, right? Um, I think there's a symbolism symbolism there, whatever you want to make out of that, um, that, you know, when Gundogan came off, um, Germany opted with Pascal Gross and then opted not to leave him there, essentially, even though he would have been fit enough to play some minutes. 
and then he comes off here and Bayern didn't really drop off right I mean Leon Goretzka scores off that Matisse tell um, there's a brief moment and symbolism is so important when it comes around Bayern Munich there's this there's the celebration where Kimi runs onto the field and celebrates with his buddy Goretzka right um, which would have probably been a great picture if Bayern had won the match. Now it's just going to go and be lost in eternity. But then um, today these photos emerge with Joshua Kimmich and Hasan Salihamidzic at the Oktoberfest. And look, he's a smart guy. He knows that if he's with Hasan Salihamidzic at the Oktoberfest, that will go to the press. That will be leaked to Brill. Build, build published it, of course, moments later. My point is there's a lot of noise around him at the moment. And if you're Bayern Munich and you have a pretty big game coming up against Manchester United, that's the last thing you want. Yeah, I mean, it's FC Hollywood at its best. October, it's it's crazy that Bayern still do this Oktoberfest photo shoot because it always comes back to bite them in the ass. Uh, you know, last season there was that kind of infamous photo of Sajamovic well, and Overkan. I have Overkan. to add, this is not, this is not the... Uh, Stefan, this is not the official shoot. This is him as a private visit. Sure. So, well, I mean, it's it's never private, is it? Let's be honest. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Munich's not... Yeah. I know Munich's a big city, but it's also a small town in a lot of ways. Um, so, you know, yeah. like, especially when Oktoberfest comes along. Um, but yeah, I mean, and like, so like I was saying, like, you know, every single year, there seems to be at least one photo taken that just causes chaos at Bayern. Last season... It was that kind of hilarious photo of I think I think it was Oliver Kahn, uh, Sajamovic, and maybe the club president all sitting uh, around a table with their partners. Not a smile amongst them. Uh, and Nagelsmann. And Nagelsmann, yeah. And then I think the year before there was a photo yeah. of Nagelsmann with his new girlfriend shortly after break up his wife, yes. and sh she was the reporter for Build, which caused all sorts of issues as well. I think so. It's just. It's always something at Bayern. Um, and of course, if things are going well, it's not an issue. But when they're not going well, it is an issue. And yeah, you're absolutely right. Kimmich continues to be a huge issue in Germany. I saw Michael Ballack. Uh, was quoted in the maybe kicker saying that, um, you know, Kimmich is a world-class right back, but he's not a world-class central midfielder. Um, and he has to go back to that position. So it's it's an issue. And it's always going to be an issue until, you know, Bayern kind of really saw that midfield out and figure out a way to get, you know, Kimmich and Goreska playing like they maybe used to do. Whether they can or not, I guess it's up for debate and it's up to Tuchel to kind of figure out if he can. But I guess we just have to wait and see what happens. But like I said, these these stories and these pictures and these quotes from pundits only really surface and become a thing when these guys aren't performing on the pitch. It's all just noise. Uh, and if they are performing on the pitch, no one really pays attention to it. So. I guess it's up to Kimmich and Tuchel to figure out a way to get past this. Yeah, I, I mean, I I do think that's interesting that Joshua Kimmich opted to go to Oktoberfest on his own. This, again, this is not the club visit. The club doesn't visit, right? I, I think that's next weekend, if I'm not mistaken, um, after the home game against Bochum. And um, that he opted to go on his own. Uh, I hope there was alcohol-free beer in those glasses. <laughs> Because yeah. they have a very they have a very big game coming up on Wednesday against Man United, and, yeah. and I, he's not I, the biggest I, guy. Like you know, one yeah. one large beer, you know, it's, it's essentially his body weight in beer. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> um, you're quite right. There are large glasses, and the Oktoberfest beer is also a little stronger than the usual Munich beer. 
um, speaking of experience. But the projected lineup for the Man United game is out by kicker. Um, grain of salt and all that because it is on the Monday and it could change. Um, but it has Goretzka and Kimmich as a double pivot and it has Müller playing behind Kane, which I, I think is, is fascinating in itself. Uh, I think Thomas Müller's role is, is a fascinating one at the moment. But this Man United game, I personally think they're favorites. They should win it. Um, but if they don't, it's going to be very interesting. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think Leverkusen at this moment in time are probably a better team than Man United. You know, Man United have been a, they've had all sorts of issues in the Premier League on and off the pitch, but Ten Hag really seems to be struggling at the moment, even to put out a decent start 11 most weeks. So I definitely think they go to Germany as um, underdogs, to put it politely. And I don't think this is the game that's really going to test that Kimmich and Goretzka partnership, to be perfectly honest with you. You know, I think if that is to come, it will come almost in the latter stages of the Champions League. And, you know, we've seen from Bayern over the last kind of couple of years, even if they're not quite 100% in the Bundesliga, if they're dropping points in the, in the league, they still have that capacity to put on a very professional job in the group stages. We saw that last year under Nagelsmann where they went undefeated until up until the point they sacked them uh, in the Champions League, which was a remarkable start, really. Um, but... I think we're probably going to have to wait and see what happens. But I, I think I think they'll be fine, to be honest with you. I don't think my United are the best teams at the moment in time. Still have good players, don't get me wrong, and they can cause issues. But um, I think I think they'll be absolutely fine, to be honest with you. But we'll, we'll need to wait and see what happens. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that Man United game, to be honest. I think it's going to be a, a fascinating encounter. Um obviously doing Oktoberfest time as well, which means there's going to be lots of drunk English fans there. Um, welcome to Munich, I guess. Uh, enjoy it. Um, all indication is that's the only thing that they're going to enjoy, Stefan. The way Bayern Munich, especially against English teams, especially at this time of the year. I remember, I think it was the Tottenham fixture that I did doing Oktoberfest, and I think Bayern won that 7-1 or 7-2. Um, they definitely like playing English opposition during... Uh, which is during the most important time of any Bavarian or Münchner, uh, which I am one of. Anyways, that's enough of Bayern and uh, Man United and the upcoming Champions League fixtures. Um, we need to talk about another Champions League team, German Champions League team. The former biggest title challenger of Bayern Munich, I would have to say, because I think there's two other teams that have probably a bigger claim at the moment. Um, we talked about one of them, that's Leverkusen. The other in my books is Leipzig, who have been excellent as well this weekend. They demolished Augsburg 3-0, and I, I assume they will win their Champions League game in Bern too. Don't worry, we're going to recap all of these games um, this week. But I, I want to talk about the Dortmund-Freiburg uh, fixture. And I tweeted this out, and I stay by it, that... This was another disappointing performance by Borussia Dortmund. I feel that there is a lot lacking at the moment. I feel like that uh, from a performance standpoint, there is no creativity. Uh, I also sense that there is no real will to actually make meaningful changes. And tactically, it's all very predictable. The one thing that 
I think rescued this team and I, I actually maybe is is ultimately maybe a bad thing because it will not it will mean that, you know, um as they say in German weiter so let's just keep going, right? Um Dortmund win this game four two, but it wasn't until Höfler was red carded, right? That they really jump into action and score two goals late. Stefan, I tell you what, this game with eleven against eleven, I think this ends in a draw, just as we predicted. <laughs> Well, you predicted. I predicted a Dortmund win, so I'm delighted. Ah, damn it. <laughs> um, you did, didn't you? I said 2-2. Two, two. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Sorry. I was still on the other match. <laughs> um, yeah. Bloody Union Berlin bursting my coupon on Saturday. Or <sighs> that way. So I, was, I did very well on the whole, I think, in okay, predictions. But let me rephrase that. If without a red card, do you think Dortmund would have won this game? From based on what you've seen, not based on what you predicted before the game. Yes. No, I, I completely agree with you. I think I think there were two kind of big moments in the um in the second half. The first was when Terzic made those, that kind of triple substitution, uh, and he brought in Nemcha, uh, Marius Wolf, and uh, Fulkrug. And I think what really made a big difference for Dortmund was when Fulkrug came on for Sebastian Haller. Um, you know, I've done my newsletter this week on Haller and why things aren't quite working out for him this season, but. It goes without saying that they simply aren't. Um, you know, some of his stats for this year are truly shocking. Over the course of the four games, he hasn't scored a single goal or assist, and his XG for the four goals for the four games combined is zero point one five. Um, now, when you take that and compare it to Dorman's overall XG for those four games, so they're a cumulative XG. Um, and sorry if if you're not aware of the metric, expected goals is just a numerical value that is used to say how many goals a team should have scored. So um, what it's basically said is over those first four games, Sebastian Haller's XG or the goals he should have scored was 0.15. And that amounts to um, 1.52% of Dortmund's overall XG. So basically his contribution to Dortmund's attack so far this season is one52 of all the chances they've created in those first four league games, which I, I just think is an, astand, not an outstanding, a, a staggering number um, because he's their number nine. He's their second most expensive signing ever uh, and he's a very good striker. And the fact that that's not working is just so fascinating to me. And I go into a lot of detail as to explain why that's happened and what's going on. Um, but, you know, when I watch this game, I think it... I think it just as soon as Phil Krug comes on, he immediately gets that one-two with Daniel Malin to score, and all of a sudden it's as if things have just kind of clicked into gear for Dortmund. They've suddenly got a guy up front that they can play off. Um, I think it wasn't just the fact that Phil Krug came on and Haller went off; it's also because Dortmund went to a three-five-two. Malin all of a sudden could play as a second striker, Rar as a winger, uh, and they could also um, kind of flood the midfield with more players. Um, and that's why they got their equaliser. But I completely agree with you in the sense that, I mean, it's also worth pointing out that Hummel's goal to score the third one comes after the red card, but it also comes after one of the Freiburg players is off injured. So Freiburg are actually down two men for that set piece, which is, you know, extremely unfortunate for them. Uh, and of course, Marco Royce kind of scores a, I wouldn't say a consolation goal, but, you know, whatever the equivalent of that is when, when for the team that's winning. Um, and yeah, I completely agree with you in terms of, you know, it was a result that Dortmund probably desperately needed. It's a result that Dortmund fans would have, you know, breathed a deep sigh of relief for. 
Um, but the performances, again, are still far from impressive. I think you have to give Dortmund some credit to the extent because they went to Freiburg and they found some way to win that game. And I think the days of um, you know Dortmund being expected to win fixtures, fixtures like this are long gone. Um, you could argue even the days of Bayern going to someone like Freiburg and being expected to win are probably long gone. So I think in isolation, it's a good result. Dortmund deserves some credit for that. You know, I, I saw Sebastian Kale say after the game that you know it's not all good, but it's not all bad either. And I think that's probably a good way of summing things up for Dortmund. But there are definitely underlying issues here, which you know, again, I go into more detail in the in the in the in the newsletter, but. More or less, when you look at how many chances they're creating, um, they're 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 basically a mid-table side. You know they've got fewer shots uh, towards goal this season than Bochum, Stuttgart, and Augsburg. Now Stuttgart, of course, have been great. Don't get me wrong, but fewer shots than Augsburg and Bochum. Come on, you know. And then I think the other thing is maybe quite telling as well is if you can also look at how many high turnovers they've managed to perform or whatever you want to call it. And again, that's what I was referring to in the Bayern-Leverkusen game, which is when you basically intercept the ball in the opposing half. Now, if you look at who's top of that metric in the Bundesliga, it's Bayern Munich with 49, and then right behind them is Bayern Leverkusen in second place. Two teams that are very well drilled in that aspect, who know how to really pressure a team. Dortmund are fourth from bottom in that metric, um, and they're level with Eintracht Frankfurt, who are having an equally dreadful start to the season. And only teams below them are Hoffenheim, Heidenheim, and Darmstadt. And I think that goes some way to kind of explain the problem that Dortmund have. You know, and especially in that first half against Freiburg, you could see how well drilled and how well coached Freiburg were because off the ball, they just knew exactly what to do. They knew how to harass Dortmund. They knew where, they knew where to be. They knew where their teammates were when they had to quickly counter-attack. Um... And Dortmund were the complete opposite of that. And it all keeps kind of coming back to what we've been talking about a lot recently where, you know, Terzic um, is very good at motivating these players. You can tell they all enjoy playing for him. But the little tactical tweaks that are demanded of coaching a team in the Bundesliga that expect to win every week just continue to kind of fault him. And now, he deserves credit for it. He did change things up, he, you know, and he, and he changed it to three five two. He brings on Fulkrug. He kind of goes a hard reset in the 60th minute. But as you said, if it wasn't for that red card, and let's be honest, a very fortunate um, Hummels goal, you know, the way it, the way it kind of bobbles in, um, it's it's it, it, it's it's going to end in a draw. And, and this is kind of the point I make in my newsletter as well, in the sense that it's it's it, it means every week Dortmund go into these games... Um, without any real clear game plan and it feels to me like every Dortmund game is just chaos and some weeks that might mean you score late goals and beat Freiburg but sometimes it might also mean that Heidenheim score late goals and steal two points off you and that's just not really any way for Dortmund to be playing especially if it means you're not getting the best out of your record goal scoring or record signing number nine who I mean Sebastian Haller just looks completely devoid of any kind of support or any idea of what's meant was meant to be doing on the pitch right now and you know i think that i think that's on terzic yeah it is um it absolutely is i think um 
eight points out of four, of those four games is generous, Stefan, with what I've seen. Um, I think that I think that this this result in particular um, was very very fortunate, and I, I stick with what I put on Twitter where I criticized the club. Um, let me do some actual reporting here. Um, I, I I have a sense that. There is different opinions in the club on how things are supposed to to move forward. And I also think that from the very top of the leadership, there is a very strong, well, it worked last year, so why shouldn't it work this year approach? Um, I mean, first of all, it didn't work last year, did it? Um, because they did drop points like in games like they did this year with Heidenheim. I mean, those two points now would put them at the very top of the table, right? Um, so you're already four games and you're playing catch-up. Um, but, you know, there is a very strong delegation around Hans-Joachim Watzke that believes that um, a let's continue the way we are con- we're supposed to do this approach um, is, is warranted. Um, and then, you know, I, uh, there's also been some disconnect between what Sebastian Kiel wants to do with this team and what Eden Terzic wants to do with this team. There's been at least one instance this summer where, for example, a player signing was vetoed by Edin Terzic, right? Where the where the staff around Kiel and the um, the team around Kiel wanted to bring in uh, a certain player, um, you know, the players Edson Alvarez, but there was at least one more, and that was a, well, that was vetoed by Terzic by saying that he wanted to keep this particular group together the way it was. Um, at the end of the day, they realized that wasn't enough, which is why they went out on this uh, crazy deadline day signing for Niklas Völkug, which, you know, if Sebastian Haller doesn't work out, that might be actually a smart move. But I am as baffled as you with Haller because um, my understanding is that he is fit, that he is... Um, you know, when you watched him in preseason, you had a sense that he there was a clear plan around him. And yet that plan doesn't manifest itself during Bundesliga games. And I think that there is also um, some disconnect between certain elements within Borussia Dortmund who don't understand why this isn't working. And um, the coaching staff that, you know, doesn't seem to get the best out of players at time. Um there's reports out there that Yusufu Mokuku, for example, wanted to leave last minute for Leipzig, right? Because of the Fulkuk signing. So what I'm trying to sum up here, Stefan, it just doesn't feel like the head is talking to the tail or the tail is talking to the head. You know what I mean, right? And they've been there before with Thomas Tuchel. And... I mean, we see some of these things going on with Bayern Munich at with Thomas Tuchel, so this isn't this isn't strange. But I just don't think this club is. I don't think everyone at this club is pulling the same direction, and it's showing. You know, um, I think that they the 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 sporting director Kiel had a clear plan on how to make this team stronger, and he couldn't do it because there's certain elements at the club that give 100% trust to Eden Terzic. And I'm not sure that's warranted. I'm not sure that is a direction that will actually ultimately improve this club. 
they've been there before as well, right? When Eden Terzic was waiting in the wings while they had Marco Rose. I tweeted this out. Marco Rose's statistics at Leipzig are better than what Eden Terzic's statistics are at Dortmund during the same time period. In fact, if Marco Rose had collected the same amount of points with Dortmund than he has collected with his with Leipzig, Dortmund probably would have won the title last year, Stefan. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a, it's a bizarre kind of issue right now for Dortmund because traditionally the way these kind of these kind of corporate structures are meant to work is that Sebastian Kale is the guy who's supposed to be picking the squad, not Eden Terzic, you know? I mean, I was speaking to someone who's close to Union Berlin this weekend about, you know, how well Urs Fischer's doing at the club and just the sheer size of the squad that they've picked, put together and, you know, because we're talking about the Real Madrid game and stuff and them taking on the Champions League and I said, you know, I must, I said, you know, I wonder if this is just Urs Fischer. He seems to really enjoy having these big squads and having so many options and they turned around immediately and said, that's not Urs Fischer. He does not pick who the club sign. He does not sign players. It's Runner, the you know Oliver Runner, the sporting director or, or director of sport, whatever he is. He makes the final decision. That's final. He's the guy who brings the players in, and Urs Fischer, as the head coach, has to make do with the players that are signed for him. That's the way that these. That's the way it works in German football. Usually, it's the way it's supposed to work. And and me, after that, Stefan, that's usually when it works. Clubs that have the structure are the ones that work. When it when they do not follow the structure, that's when you have someone like Thomas Tuchel being fired last minute from Dortmund, or have a situation with Nagelsmann at Bayern last year, or you have the current mess at Bayern Munich with Thomas Tuchel. Hmm. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's if like you said, like it's 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 when you have when one part of the club aren't speaking to the other, it's obviously a huge issue. And you know, I think Sebastian Kell deserves it. I think he deserves a chance to kind of prove himself at Dortmund. We, you know, we talked about a lot about this when Michael Zork moved on and the manner in which, you know, different generations have to replace the last ones because they have to bring a fresh perspective. And you know, we said it's about Zork at the time, but it's it's very very applicable to Vatska, where, you know, Vatska is. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm trying to think of like the Godfather re- reference, where you know he's a he's a wartime. Uh, I can't remember the Italian expression, Coniarty or Coniarty. I can't remember what it is. But he's like, what the point I'm trying to make is like he was the right man for the job at that point in time. And obviously, Vatska and Mike Zork were the right people for the right time at Dortmund when they were under huge financial trouble, and they guided them out of that. And their place in the pantheon of Dortmund history will always be assured because of what they did for the club but you need to let the new generation come in because they have to be able to step on your shoulders to build something better and that's obviously what Sebastian Kale is supposed to be doing when he took over from Michael Zork but he can't do that if Vatska prefers the uh, the head coach who you know maybe doesn't share that ambition or doesn't well normally he doesn't share that ambition but if he's if he, if he if he's close to Vatska, then that undermines Sebastian Kell's entire job. So, I mean, I don't want to kind of labour the point so much because I know Dortmund fans listening to this will be thinking, "Gosh, we beat Freiburg four two, and all you guys can do is moan about the club." And I, I, I get that. I think it's just important to kind of break down the, the performance. Uh, it'd be really great to hear from the subscribers what they think, the Dortmund fans, in terms of the performance. And I think what's also worth really bearing in mind is they've got a really tricky Champions League tie coming up, and then. 
in the league, they've got Wolfsburg, Hoffenheim, and Union Berlin. And as things currently stand, at those are three games which I think they could very, com- not comfortably, but very easily lose if we bear in mind how much they struggled against Cologne, Bochum, and Heidenheim. So I think that's I think that's the context that this result has to be analysed in because, like I said, a one-off, you know, if you just look at this in isolation, you think, wow, Dortmund beat Freiburg 4-2. They must have turned things around. But you look at the games that came before it, you look at the games that are coming after it, and the performance on the day, uh, it suggests that I don't think Dortmund are out of the woods just yet. I think it compared the most to what Leverkusen have done, right? They they made a manager transition from um, Rudi Völler to Simon Rolfes. And Simon Rolfes is completely in charge of player signings right now, and uh, the results speak for themselves. Um and I think that is they they of the same generation, right? Rolfus and Kale. Um they, they played for the national team together and pretty sure they're almost the same age. And um it took it, in fairness, it took some time for Rolfus to do to, to cement that place strongly. But I think the work that he's done um this summer in particular, um and you know, before that even speaks for itself. Um but you mentioned the tricky Champions League tie for Dortmund. And um, PSG away. Um, that's going to be a fascinating match. Uh, I'm not sure. Did, is there any news on Kylian Mbappe's status? I think he missed the 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 game. Um, yeah, they lost they on lost the weekend. In, lost in East, didn't they? I think. Is it? Um, I I I have I haven't checked. I, I a quick Google tells me that there's still no. Uh, Still no news, it would seem, but I think I think this is a really interesting tie just because you know, obviously Dortmund are in a bit of trouble domestically, but they do sometimes have a habit of putting on better performances in the Champions League when expectation is suddenly just entirely removed from them. Uh, you know, in the sense that we saw that last season, they put on decent performance against Manchester City, for example, when no one expected them to do anything. And there is a sense that this team is maybe better suited to playing kind of counter-attacking football um, and allowing another team to kind of take the onus and kind of Im- impose themselves on it, which you would certainly expect them to do uh, or expect PSG to do against them. Um, so I think that'd be really interesting to kind of, you know, bear in mind going into this game but yeah there's no doubt that you know I think I think in particular if you kind of look at that kind of Champions League group and I did put in our group chat at the time and I said you know I, I do think that, that this could be a real kind of struggle for Dortmund and I think it could be something that ends up playing a huge kind of role in um, you know how 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 whether or not Terzic kind of keeps his job or the pressure that he feels going forward because it'd be one thing if Dortmund had a few kind of dead ringers in that group which would allow them to pick up results you know I guess it's hard to kind of expect that in Champions League these days but they're basically in the group of death here and I'm not saying I'm not going to rule them out at all against Newcastle who've also had a poor start to the season and you know, AC Milan, who can be very hot and cold from one, se- one season to the next. And, and of course, PSG are kind of the perennial underachievers in the Champions League to an extent. But there is a very good chance that they could end up getting thrashed off all three of those teams as well. You know, there's just as much of a chance of that. 
And if that kind of falls in line with poor performances in the Bundesliga as well, then that kind of that kind of negativity begins to snowball very quickly towards Terzic, you know, and I think there's already a lot of grumbles on the yellow wall about him and, and the way this team are playing. Mm, yeah, actually, I don't want to make a quick correction here. Mbappe did play against Nice, but they still lost. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I'm... You're completely right about the group of death, um, Stefan. I think this is... This is an extremely difficult task for them, and... The, the the thing that you also pointed out with all these difficult games coming up, um, let's say Eden Terzic doesn't win those games or, you know, puts together a string of bad results. What's next here? Because, and I put this out too, Hans-Joachim Watzke is currently in charge of negotiate, helping the DFB negotiate with a new head coach. Um, we all know that one one of these names out there uh, currently the favorite is Julian Nagelsmann. Um, it feels to me a bit like, I don't know, a conflict of interest that, you know, you're in charge of negotiating with a head coach for the national team who could potentially also be the next coach at Dortmund. Is that just me or is that just feel odd? Well, I'm still not entirely convinced Nagelsmann wants the Germany job, so I I, 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 I personally am in a camp where I hope he's not taking the job because I, <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not convinced that he is a national team coach. Yeah, it's a, no, it's a different it's, task, right? Yeah, and exactly. I, and I've written about it, and everyone wants to know more about it. Read my last week's newsletter. I think I made it quite clear what I want, but I still think it's a, it's it. There comes a point where. Dortmund will have to make tough decisions and people who are in charge of making those decisions are in a clear conflict of interest. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was going to say, I'm not entirely convinced he'd take this Dortmund job either, to be perfectly honest with you. But uh, I think I think the issue, that, the, the, maybe the bigger issue here, and again, I'm just kind of pouring more misery on this for Dortmund fans, is that since Klopp, um, left Dortmund they have had good head coaches the ones that stick out to me are obviously Thomas Tuchel and Marco Rosa right Not both of them have ended up getting bundled out the back door at Dortmund because for one reason or another they just didn't get on with the hierarchy and I think that's a bigger issue than more than just about who should be in charge of this team of course you know if you bring in a, a more experienced head coach a, a more finely chin tactician then maybe they can fix the problems in this team um you know, in, in the short term. But in the long term, it seems like every time they try to bring in a proper pedigree of head coach, something goes wrong. And I think that's a bigger question that Dorman maybe have to try and answer before, you know, they try and welcome someone like Nagelsmann to the club because that feels to me like a recipe for disaster considering what happened under Tuchel and Marco Rosa. Especially, mm. especially yeah. if they don't sack Terzic and put him back in some... A technical you know, role, technical director. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's make you the boss of your successor, and make you also the make you also uh, the the guy's pre, like predecessor as well at the same time. Yeah, that doesn't work. You need clear hierarchies as clubs, and I think that's maybe the bottom line here that that's missing. Mm. Yeah, that, absolutely. So, well, anyways, uh, you know what? A good three points for Dortmund. Yeah, it is. And I mean, at the end of the day, we might be sitting here at the end of the season. I'm like, whew, 
you know, they're like, they're a win away from winning the title again. <laughs> yeah, <this> and before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they were they were doing a lot worse at this point last season than they are now, if I'm not mistaken, because they're a really poor start. Um, and they're undefeated. They haven't actually lost a game. And, you know, I just said they could lose those games, those three upcoming uh, fixtures against Wolfsburg, Heidenheim, and, uh, sorry, Hoffenheim and Union Berlin. But maybe this kind of result is exactly the kind of thing that galvanizes them and... You know, if they go if they go and get results in those three games, then they're well on their way to kind of getting back on track. So, yeah, never say never. It's definitely not a sure thing that this is all going to go up in smoke. Um, but you know, it's our job to explain what's going on week to week, and and I think that is what's and happening. They might in beat PSG. You never know. They, you know, they beat PSG, and then it's a completely different story too. So, exactly. Yeah, um, I think. That more or less does it for Bayern and Dortmund. Um, Leipzig are against Bern. Um, Union Berlin, um, Stefan, let's quickly touch on that because they have a enormous fixture coming up um, against Real Madrid. We mentioned it earlier on the podcast. Um, they lose to Wolfsburg 2-1. Ruined both of our predictions right there. Um, how much do we read into this? For the Real Madrid fixture, or is Union Berlin really just there for the party, anyways? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, more or less, I suppose. I think, um, yeah, of course, they go into this game as nowhere near favourites. There's nothing really expected of them, and, and look, it's it, this is obviously this this group stage is always going to be a kind of moment for them to relish, and it's not exactly a huge amount of expectation put on them. But I mean, I didn't catch this game, but. You know, Wolfsburg have been, you know, decent at the start of the season. They've picked up three wins from four. We've kind of talked a lot about the fact that they do have a squad that are capable of good things. And if Nico Kovac has finally kind of got this team playing well, uh, and you could certainly argue that he has, and the fact that I think Jonas wins one of the top goal scorers across Europe right now, um, you know, they've got a very talented squad there. And it's... It, and, we kind of talked about this in the previous show. I, it wasn't some. I thought this was going to be a very, very tight game, um, and yeah, I think Wolfsburg are, are a decent side. So I wouldn't really kind of ring the alarm bells if since Union didn't, um, you know, just because Union didn't manage to score. From what I can tell from the stats, they had plenty of chances. Um, but yeah, I think I think this game against Real Madrid's one that fans can just put their feet up and enjoy and relish and really more than anything else. Yes, and they should. They should. I mean, anything else is going to be a bonus going to Madrid if they get a result there. Oh, but, you know, honestly, they should just enjoy it. Um, before we wrap this up, Stefan, um, I want to point out currently first and seventh place in the Bundesliga separated by just two points. <laughs> it's absolute <Yeah>. chaos. <laughs> it's absolute chaos is what we want. Uh, I saw some subscribers in the in the chat this weekend saying, you know, how much they've enjoyed this weekend, especially after the Sunday results, which obviously we just unfortunately haven't a chance to really talk about. But it just goes to show, you know, it's what we wanted, um, a return to the chaos. That's what the Bundesliga is good for. And, yeah. and if I'm not mistaken, Leverkusen are technically top. So, you know, that's always that a nice change. The top on goals, um, yep. goal differential. Yeah, they are. And Leipzig are just one point behind them. Stuttgart are just one point behind them. Hoffenheim, Wolfsburg also just one point behind them. Didn't have that in my bingo card. Um, <laughs> Stuttgart, impressive. Goyasi, his statistics are mind-blowing. If you have him in your fantasy team, well done. Um, 
his shot efficiency, according to the Bundesliga app, um, is just insane. Um, it's plus four, which is the highest by a lot um, he's among the, all Bundesliga players. He's a top goal scorer across Europe's five leagues, top five leagues. Eight goals in four games. Yep. <laughs> I mean, he's 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 two goals away from scoring in double digits. <laughs> That's incredible after match day four. Um, so yeah, you've done really well putting him in your fantasy team. Although I think this is also a good time to sell him, uh, make some money off him if you, because <laughs> I don't think it's gonna last. But um, yeah, it's it's been absolutely incredible um, to watch, and it's been a fun first few match days. And may it, long may it continue, as I always say. Um, Stefan will be back later this week. As always, this podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Um, transfer show, Champions League show, and preview show still coming. Um, your newsletter coming, my newsletter coming. There's a lot coming. So, yeah. Any final thoughts before we wrap this up? No, just to say thank you to everyone who subscribes. Let us know what you thought in the comments below about Dortmund and Bayern and Leverkusen and Freiburg and everything in between. Um, and yeah, as always, thanks everyone who listens. It's, it's always it's always a pleasure to do, so we appreciate it. Totally. We'll be back soon. Until then, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. Yeah. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.